Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, Casper and Vanessa. My name is Eva, and I'm calling from Berlin, Germany. You asked what is evil. I think it's accepting something as normal that should never have been considered as acceptable in the first place. So I'm German. My grandmother grew up in Nazi Germany, and she was nearly 18 when the Second World War ended. When she was 16, she started to work for the Nazi administration. Her office was responsible for widows' pensions. When she talked about that time, it was always something like this. She worked in an office. She had a colleague she liked and one she didn't like. And everyone was suffering because there was a war going on and their brothers and fathers were dying in battle. She didn't think she was participating in something evil. Or at least she never admitted these thoughts to me. When I was at school and we learned about German fascism and the Second World War, I used to judge people like my grandma. But now I find myself in a position that is not so different. We as a society are killing the planet. We're responsible for the extinction of hundreds of species. We are destroying places where people live. And at the same time, we don't allow refugees in and we send them back to war zones that we help create. And I'm complicit in that by doing nothing against it. It is done in my name too. When I think about what we're actually doing here, I cry sometimes. I feel really angry and sad. Yet I don't feel like that in my daily life. Instead, we convince each other that the way we live is normal. Not by giving speeches, but just by living this way, as if it wasn't a problem, as if it wasn't causing tremendous harm. Not a lot of people are saying, I can't go on like this. I don't do that either. I can't isolate myself like that from everyone else. And we don't do it collectively. And that is real evil, I think. Accepting as normal what we know is unacceptable. What we actually don't want to happen. Yet it doesn't feel like a choice we're making. We just go on living the way we live that is familiar to us. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Kasper Turkheil. And this is The Real Question. Whew, Vanessa, what a voicemail. I think there's something so powerful in what Eva is saying, which is just like the way in which we normalize things that if we're confronted directly with it, we know to be wrong, which is something we talked about in the last episode. And it's surreal that when you're the person who does look at it closely and does say that this is wrong, 
you're made to feel like you're the one who's not normal. I love the definition she offered. I feel like it synthesizes what we said in the last episode, even though Ava sent this voicemail before that episode aired. But I'm really interested in this definition of evil being accepting what is normal when we mm. shouldn't be accepting it. It just seems to combine the the Voldemort. There is this own trajectory of evil that even if we try to stop it, we can't. Like there's no way to get in front of it. But also this Hannah Arendt banality that it's just us shrugging our shoulders. And so, yeah, it's really compelling. It's so compelling that I don't know what we're going to talk about <laughs> the rest of today's episode. Maybe we should have just had Ava. That's what I was going to say. I was like, maybe instead of talking to you, I should be talking to our listeners. For sure. I mean, <laughs> are they as fun? Now, that is a good question. <laughs> they might be smarter, but I'm a hoot. <laughs> Before we jump in, Casper, to this question of evil, we just want to remind you all that we are trying not to be evil. And so we are trying to not run ads so you can support us on Patreon and get many Patreon perks, including getting an extra sacred reading practice with one of the texts that we talked about in a week. So if you want the conversation to continue, you can just go support us on Patreon and you can become an annual member, which is 10% off what it would cost to support us monthly for a year. So thank you so much for those of you who are supporting us, considering supporting us. And if not, we're still so happy to have you here. So Casper, when last we talked, we were like, evil, Confusing. <laughs> and so this week, you're going to do evil solved it. Yeah. Last week, we talked about like, what is evil, right? Try, trying to define what it is and what it isn't. We landed on this interesting mix of an evil that grows like moss, right? That is everywhere and nowhere, that that gets into every crevice and and that we're all part of, right? We're all complicit in and balancing that with this idea that sometimes evil is really centered, that it becomes embodied in a person or a, a particular activity. And we looked at Lord Voldemort as, as an example of that within the Harry Potter story. But I felt still a little confused at the end. I, f I felt like I had two competing definitions that were both compelling, but somewhat unsatisfactory. And particularly it left me feeling like, well, but what do I do about it? Right? I wasn't clear. So I've come back with a second week of evil conversation <laughs> to try and figure out what do we really mean and what does it mean for me? So I've brought two more texts for us to talk about today. I think big conversations need time, right? And that actually taking a break in the middle of them is helpful because you walk away and you're like, that did not feel satisfying, right? So I love that you're trusting that instinct within yourself and I'm excited to hear what new thoughts you've had. Yeah, sometimes you need a little bit of space. And sometimes you need to talk to somebody. And straight after we recorded last week, I had a virtual dinner with my friend Nicholas Hayes because every month we get together for Indian food and we talk about Thomas Aquinas and other kind of Christian theological thinkers. And I told him, you know, we've just been talking about evil and I feel kind of unsatisfied. And I gave him the definition that I'd kind of landed on. And he was like, well, Casper, I think you've kind of undersold this idea that evil is the privation of good, right? That is just the lack of good. And he proceeded to convince me over the next hour that I had maybe missed something. So I invited him back to record what he told me. 
And that is my first text that I'm bringing for us to think about today. So we've got a little clip of Nick Hayes, who is a PhD student at Boston College for Theology, helping me understand this question in a different way. So the idea that evil is a privation of good is usually accredited to St. Augustine, Christian theologian in the 4th, 5th century, familiar to many of us for a variety of reasons. And um, Augustine says something, he says that at various points, but he actually says something a little more interesting. And that's not just that evil is a privation of good, but evil is a falling away from good or a falling away from being. Those two things are very closely related for him. And attending towards nothingness. So what you've described, evil as a privation of good or an absence of good, you could call the ontological aspect of evil. If you ask what is evil, that's the most straightforward answer. But how do we experience or do evil as human beings? It's not an immediately illuminating answer. And I think that other answer, that evil is a falling away, attending toward non-being, is more interesting. And it leads into Augustine's second answer, the one I shared with you on Monday, that evil is also a kind of disordered desire or disordered love. And that's, I think, where the real meat is. So this is the idea that it's not necessarily that we want bad things, but that we want good things in the wrong order. Is that right? Exactly. Right. So Augustine doesn't think evil is a thing. That's the truth in the ontological answer. What is evil? There is no substance, no thing out there that's wholly evil. Everything that is, is good insofar as it is. So everything you could possibly want is also good. The problem comes when you don't order the goods you desire rightly. Augustine thinks we're creatures first and foremost of love. We're creatures driven by this kind of passionate longing. But what do we direct that longing towards? Are we ranking our desires appropriately? Or are we putting some things in a place where other things should go? And in particular, are we putting some things in the place where God should go? That's kind of the biggie for Augustine. So Nick was explaining this to me and my mind just went like, because the thing that felt so powerful about it is that it helped me make sense of the world again, right? Like, With the definition that we landed on last time, the world felt like a strange place to me because suddenly I was having to look out for this like mossy growth everywhere. And then I was also now suddenly having to be afraid of like Voldemort's and Trump's like around every corner, which that's not a pleasant way to live. And the way that Nick explained this idea, it helped me feel comfortable with the idea that evil is not something that we intentionally choose. It's that we're choosing something that in itself is good, right? Like you you might want to live longer. You might want to have more agency and power. You might want to, you know, have a beautiful big house in, in every city in America, whatever it is. It's just that when those things come into conflict with the needs and the wants of others, and you're always prioritizing your own, that's when evil happens. That it's about putting me above other people. And then in Augustine's framework, right, that it's putting me even above God. Um, Now, we, we, we can leave God out of it, I think, somewhat, at least in this conversation. But that helped me understand that the desire, that the drive towards evil doesn't have to come from some like 
strange figure out in the ether, but that it comes from the disordered will in me and in each person. That made me feel like I could understand evil in, in a much better way, honestly. Yeah. And so someone like Trump, it's that one of the things he wanted was power and he just was willing to do that at all costs. That's right. And he noticed that there was a path that he could take toward exploiting people's fears around race and seeming, quote unquote, tough on crime, right, to be law and order. And so he just so deeply prioritized his own power, which Augustine would say that wanting power is wanting something good. Right. It's just that it was in the wrong order. And it wasn't just Trump's will for power and will for attention. It was also people who made choices which benefited themselves that also benefited him. The leadership within the Republican Party. There's so many rungs that you can go outside of, right? Again, the media companies that benefited off all of the kind of extraordinary shock and awe of, of the news cycles around Trump. So when you when you look at it that way, it helps me understand that it is in those individual choices that you start to have that systemic effect, that, that there are those willful drivers that lead to an experience like I had in September last year, where I was really sitting down having an honest conversation about, do we leave the country? This theory helps me understand where all of those choice points came from. And I think that Ava's point also helps us incorporate Voldemort in our rent, insofar as she's saying, and the more we normalize that, the easier it is to be evil. So the more we normalize that media is going to just cover every ridiculous thing that Trump says, it it just gets easier and easier. Like you said, right? It's like the curling (laughs) sweepers. Like it it does though. It just makes it easier and easier to normalize the wrong order of good, right? Like a newspaper wanting clicks is not in and of itself evil. It needs clicks in order to survive. But prioritizing clicks over reporting valuable news is evil or is is less good. And then the more we do that, the easier it gets to do that. Yeah. And we see this with Lord Voldemort, right? Because he wants to live forever, which again, in itself, it's like, oh, I will be able to see my grandchildren and play with my dog and, you know, go visit every library around the country. Fine. But if you're then willing to kill people to live forever by creating a Horcrux, right, then you're putting your will above the safety and and existence of other people, which is clearly a disordered level of goods. And so that helped me understand how this evil kind of is created, right, in that moment of disordering of wills. And then just like you were pointing to Ava's voicemail, once you've set that norm, it becomes harder and harder to interrupt it, even though we're all looking at each other, kind of knowing that this disordered ranking of goods is is just not right. So, Casper, what does that mean about individual people? Because last week, one of the things you said is that, no, some people just want to watch the world burn, which I think is <laughs> is right. Like that resonated with me. Like some people crave the evil. What are they ordering? Yeah, for me, this was a really helpful way of thinking about that question, because 
you know, there's two ways to think about this. One is to focus just on individual responsibility, which we know is deeply flawed because we're so shaped by systems around us, right? Systems of racism, of, of sexism, of, of ableism, and, and many, many others. And then there's another way to read it, which is only to look at the systems. And I think that also is incomplete because there is a role for personal agency, even if it's much, much smaller than the systemic drivers. And so what I like about this as a definition or as a way of thinking about evil is that it really honors the reality of those systemic drivers. But at the same time, it gives some space to that sense of ordering of goods, right? The, the way in which we will or we long or we yearn for some things. So when I think about, you know, maybe that kind of character of, of someone who just wants to like in a villain in a movie, like laugh as the world burns, maybe their driver or the, the will they have is for a sense of justice. And if they can't get it, then no one else should get it. I think you can probably find a kernel of a good. It's just put above everyone else's safety and existence that it becomes this demonic, sometimes nearly comical driver, which on the face of it looks like they just want chaos, but there might be something in there. I mean, we've talked about this again with Voldemort, right? Like, what would have happened if he had grown up in a safe and loving family? What would have happened if his gifts were celebrated and put towards a generative use rather than shamed or pushed away or, or made dangerous? I do think there's something there that is really helpful. Right. So I'm trying to think of like the examples that I hold of people wanting to watch the world burn. So something like the actions of the American soldiers who did the My Lai massacre, right? Mm. Or, right, the way the soldiers acted in Abu Ghraib, right? So, and the way that I've explained it before is that there's something broken in them, at least to myself, right? That like something in them has been dehumanized. Mm -hmm. But what Augustine and Nick are pointing us to is that they want something good, like to feel as though they have control over their lives again. Or to make each other laugh. I mean, that that's what was so sick and sad about it is they were laughing at it together. Right. Right. Or, yeah, to want to feel a part of a team. And so then the question is, like, what systems and relationships do we set up in that's order right. to make sure our priorities stay as good as possible? That's right. And that, that is also easier said than done because there are competing goods. And there's going to be moments where it isn't as crystal clear as in the case studies that we've mentioned so far, where something is obviously horrifically wrong. There are difficult moments where we have to navigate the goods and the, the longings that you have and the goods and the longings that I have. I mean, the example I gave last week was about cell phones. And every time I need a new cell phone, which was recent, right? Like I try to go as long as possible between phones, but my last phone was not functioning reliably. And I really gave a lot of thought. I was like, okay, do I buy an iPhone where I know that the cobalt is mined in such a horrific way? Or do I go for a phone that is more ethically sourced? And I have elderly parents and like the more ethically sourced phones are not as reliable. And so I was like, well, I need my parents to be able to get a hold of me no matter what. And so, right, like I just made this decision of like prioritizing trusting my phone over children who are mining cobalt in horrific conditions in the Congo. So 
I'm not sure that my order is totally wrong. I don't think that I would have like brought down the empire by not buying that phone, right? And nobody else taking care of my parents. So it wasn't that I was acting with evil intentions. I wasn't like, mwahaha, who cares about these child slaves? I was like, well, I don't think my not buying an iPhone is going to help these children in any meaningful way. And I need my parents to be able to get a hold of me. Oh, Vanessa, I so resonate with what you're saying. And it's not even as simple as like, am I doing something I know I shouldn't do? Of which, please, I have so many things that fall onto that list. But it's like, what happens when I have two competing things, both of which are good or both of which are bad and I have to choose? I mean, I I feel like the best thing I can wish for is that we don't look away, is that we keep interrogating that question and we keep trying to understand and trying to find solutions. And and even in the middle of something that feels unsatisfactory, in which we have to choose, that we don't get lazy. I don't know if that's the right word, but that, that we don't get complacent. That we don't normalize it, right? Like right. Ava was saying. That's right. That I bought the iPhone this time and I'm going to do my best to wait five years to buy another one like I did last time. And maybe I won't next time. Right. (laughs) For any number of reasons, maybe other technology will have gotten better or like maybe I will just sort of like have more moral courage. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I sometimes, I mean, this is more an act of witness than any sort of actual attempt to persuade someone. But like, Sometimes I just write to a company that has done something bad that I'm still buying something from just because I'm like, I want to make clear that I don't agree with this bit. You know, it's that staying close up to the to the investigation element of what evil is all about. Right. I, I think that spreading of evil happens when we're not looking at it in the face and saying, there it is. Watch out. There it is. Right. And actually, this is the perfect segue to the second text that I'm bringing. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners or odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST.
So I've brought to you a text that I'm a little nervous about sharing because it's it's actually the only prayer I know off by heart. When I was 10, I was in a very posh English prep school where every morning we had chapel and the headmaster in his kind of billowing black cloak walked down the aisle in the chapel and, you know, we sang hymns and we said the Lord's Prayer. And so in the Christian tradition, this is kind of the most well-known probably prayer. And I have just remembered it and it I will say it sometimes. I'll change the name for God every time. That's one of the things I like to do. So if I'm inspired by like sunshine or or beautiful music, I'll be like, our music who art in heaven, or like our sunshine who art in heaven. And the specific line of the prayer I want to share with you, and, and that's really helping me think about what to do about evil, is this very simple line, deliver us from evil. Mm. And the reason why it brought me such, I guess, comfort in a way, there's three things. The first is that it says deliver us rather than deliver me. And so it's this reminder that, oh boy, do I struggle with this, but we all do, right? To some extent in different moments that I'm not especially bad because I do things that I, I know are participating in in evil, right? The second thing that I really like about it is that it recognizes evil as real in a way that we have defined it. Like it makes sense to me that I know that that evil exists when I misorder the things that I long for. So it takes seriously this idea of evil. It doesn't poo-poo it. And then the final thing, and maybe this is the most important why I like it, is that it recognizes that I need help. Like I can't figure it out myself and I certainly can't always take the actions that I know I should just by myself, that that I need, I need some help. Now, for me, that isn't from like a winged angel coming from above to like steer my hand towards the keyboard as I write a strongly worded email to the CEO of a company. But it is the sense of like recognizing my insufficiency and recognizing my complicity. Yeah. So that sense of deliverance coming through relationships of support, deliverance coming through encouragement and solidarity. It just feels really good. And so I'm saying this kind of prayer more often because it's helping me keep my feet to the flame. It's it's helping me focus my attention to look for evil, both in the choices I make and in the world around me. And so I, I'm finding it really helpful as a place to go kind of in my heart. Yeah, I love that idea of us moving these questions into conversation there's something about this moment where there's a lot of proclamations going on, right? And I think social media creates this where like you want to make sure that you are signaling the right politics. And there are things that are like very clearly right. right. And yet it really dissuades a certain kind of conversation. Mm. Mm. And I feel like sometimes something will happen and like friends will whisper being like, I actually don't know how I feel about that, right? Like, I don't know how I feel about us ordering Al Franken getting kicked out of office over an ethics committee ruling, right? And regardless of where you fall on that, I feel like those conversations often aren't happening very loudly. And I love your invitation here to say, no, like these have to be us conversations. It can't be us trying to figure these things out on our own. Yeah. And and also that we need a little courage to step into those conversations or to ask for them. 
And I think that's why I loved Ava's voicemail so much, because so much of what she was saying was like, people are looking at each other and not saying anything, even though each one knows that something is horribly wrong. And what would happen if one person said, hey, why are we doing this? Can we figure something else out? Can we be brave together? And that's what I hope this prayer or this piece of the prayer can can help me do. Obviously, I'm not saying that everyone <laughs> needs to like pray this prayer, but I, I do think we all have to find ways to kind of be in touch with those moments of courage or with those moments of, yeah, really it's vulnerability because it's, it's for me at least, it's coming up very close to the fact that I don't know, but I do know I'm doing things wrong. And so what do I do now? And, and, and that feels, yeah, that just feels important to me. One of my favorite books of maybe ever actually is this book called Women Talking by Miriam Taves. And it's based on a true story of a group of women in Bolivia who who were part of a Mennonite community and they were waking up in the mornings with bruises and then weeks later pregnant or with STIs. And the women, women in this community aren't taught to read or write and they are really discouraged from speaking to one another. And basically they started illicitly talking to one another and amongst themselves putting together what happened, which is that men in their community were using the same gas that you use to put cows under anesthesia in order to perform things on them and coming into their rooms at night and, and assaulting them. And the name of the novel is so evocative to me, right? Women talking. Wow. Because the, most of the novel is just a conversation amongst the women as to what they should do in response to this. The men have been arrested, but they're like, what, what do we do? Do we stay? Do we leave? Do we fight? But it's also that they solved this thing by talking to mm. each other. Mm. And I feel like in the last year, I know that by Black Lives Matter advocates talking, I had never articulated to myself that there are things that the police get called for that they absolutely should not be called right. for. I had felt it like I have been in moments where I was watching somebody have a mental health episode and have really been like, oh, no, like, I don't want to call the police, but I don't know who else to call. But I had never articulated, oh, we need to defund the police so that that doesn't happen, right? Like in order to fund other resources. Right. And so I just think that this deliver us from evil as like a way to really engage in this conversation is saying like, we need to be delivered from evil together. We need to talk together. Mm. It's just so powerful to me. And I just believe in it so much. Mm. The, the shadow side of this is that it could lead to a sort of impotence, right? A sense that like we don't have power and we need some sort of external problem solver to come in and save the day. And so I want to keep my eye on that as well, because that's not what I mean. And I think that's, for me, this ugly side of religion that can become so prevalent. It's like, oh, it's all up to some mysterious God figure. And it's like, no, it is up to us. And we can't do it alone. And even when we're together, we can't always solve everything, right? Like there's a balance of like humility and also agency that feels just like it's running throughout these two conversations about evil that, yes, I have choices and there are systems. Yes, I need help. And also it's not going to be a miracle from above that's going to save the day. So it's it's always finding that balance for me. So Casper, the, the initial story that you brought us was you know, you and Sean considering leaving if Trump had stayed in office. 
And I have to say, I was, you know, I was obviously a part of a lot of those conversations. My partner is European. So like we had this quote unquote easy way out. And also I am someone as a grandchild of Holocaust survivors who grew up being like, why the heck didn't we get out? So many, not, not enough, but like a lot of Jews got out in 1937, 38. And my family didn't have the means to, but we didn't. And therefore our fate was changed. And I'm just wondering as far as evil, right? Like, and on this scale, would you have had that conversation differently? Because part of me, I'm not going to lie, was judging my friends who were like, I'm going to get out. My friend Robbie lives in Sweden now. And he texted me being like, are you guys going to leave if Trump gets reelected? And I was so offended by it. I was like, no, I'm an American. And I don't I don't know. Like voting with my body and staying here might have been exactly the wrong thing to do. I love this conversation because it's making me realize I should have been talking about this with like-minded people. I should have been talking about it with you and asked you and Sean what you were thinking about doing. And, but I'm wondering how you're thinking about that moment now after these few weeks of conversation. Yeah, you're so right. I mean, I feel like I jokingly talked about it with people, but not like the only serious real, real conversation where I was like, what are we going to do was with Sean. And so that's my first takeaway. I think one of the big differences is that I'm, I don't, feel American. I'm not American. Totally. And so it felt like I I go down with a different ship, which has plenty of sinking potential, let me tell you, right? Like in terms of the UK. <laughs> right. And at the same time, I was like, I don't have to be here. This is a choice. Like, I, And of course, that's, that's different for Sean. So I don't want to speak on his behalf because he is American. But what I realized is that Yes, I was donating to the campaigns that I I believed in. Yes, I'd registered to be a poll observer as a non-citizen. I can't be in the building, but I could make sure that there was disability access to, you know, to the building I was assigned to. Turns out so many people registered to do that, which is so beautiful that I wasn't needed. So I I was doing small things, but I, I don't think I was, I don't think I was doing enough. And in part because, and this is the aha moment for me, because I conceived that the evil was so big that any of my small little actions hardly made a difference. So like, because I was starting to see evil as this like independently acting thing, right? That this Voldemort-esque figure that it felt like me signing up or me donating or me volunteering was so insignificant. And, And that disempowered me. It made me feel like the only option I had was escape. And I don't want that to happen again. I want to see not just the responsibility, but the possibility of communal action as being stronger than the disordered wills of someone with that kind of power. That probably won't always be true. There are moments when when those people have more power. But I I hate that it disempowered me. And I'm, I'm a little bit ashamed of that, honestly. Oh, I mean, me too. Can I tell maybe an inspiring story on how how to do that? But my mom's parents, who I called mom and papa, met in Auschwitz Mm. and they met because they worked the same munitions factory making ammunition for the Nazi armies. Mm. And papa would break as many. There was like some version of the piece he was working on that he could push it and it would be faulty. And one of his supervisors caught him and it was a Jewish supervisor and was like, you have to stop, right? Because that Jewish supervisor was understandably terrified that if they got caught, he would be the one who was punished. And my grandmother would overlook it. 
and would encourage people to do that. Wow. And it, it was incredibly risky. It was incredibly risky. And like, looking back, they were risking my life. Like I wouldn't be here if mm. they got caught, but like they had so little power in those mm. moments, but they still were like doing this tiny thing with their thumb, right? Like with their finger and their thumb. And so I'm just thinking you gave us that great analogy of like the people sweeping, uncurling. And I'm like, what can we do to like draw lines in this ice, right? Like how can we scratch the ice? Like it doesn't have to be that we stop the curling, but we can all scratch the ice. So Vanessa, I feel like we're landing somewhere and it feels satisfying. I'm not going to lie because this this was a real it was a real question (laughs) to take the title of our podcast for me. So here are the two kind of little pieces of text I want to finally put in conversation with each other as we create a a new text that we can read and find something within. So here we go. Are we ranking our desires appropriately? Deliver us from evil. Are we ranking our desires appropriately? Deliver us from evil. I mean, what comes to mind for you? It's so powerful. Yeah, I love that it's kind of like a question and an answer. I mean, it actually is the it's the conversation that we say we want to have more of and that that we're having right yeah. now, right? It's like always looking through a telescope or a microscope and it's like, let, let me just check. Are we ranking our desires appropriately? And then there's an intention, which is like, help me not be evil. Help me make the right kind of ranking of my desires. It does feel like there's a whole new question that comes out of this, which is like, well, how do I know, right? Like, how, how do I know my desires are being ranked appropriately? Because that can be a Tuesday where I'm like, it's definitely A. And then a Wednesday where I'm like, oh boy, is it B. So that's a that's a different conversation. But I love this constant invitation. Am I ranking my desires appropriately? And I love that Nick phrased the question, which I'm quoting here, in the we format. Again, so we have we and our and us throughout these two phrases. Just to just to remind me that it it's a we question, right? We're all we're all trying to figure this out. And that we actually can't know what the appropriate ranking is if I'm only relying on my own judgment. That that has to be a conversation. And I guess that's partly what democracy is about, is trying to figure that out together. I mean, what it makes me think is that we need some sort of like, you know, the way the AA is structured, that it's like a group, there's a meeting that you can jump into and you can tell a story in a non-judgmental space. It's like, you should be able to show up at a space and be like, I am struggling with this ethical thing and I don't know what the right order is. And that a group of people should help you just like through conversation and through question asking, help you figure out your right order. Yeah. Yeah. It's like there should be like an evil avoidance support group. (laughs) Isn't that what this podcast is, Vanessa? (laughs) Yes, but I think it should be a bigger group of people who don't love each other, Mm. like in such an intimate way, right? Like I think that there should be loving kindness is like a norm in these groups. But I mean, I don't know if I think this. I'm just like thinking out loud. But like you could say anything to me and I'd be like, oh, that's not evil. (laughs) Like I'm like your getaway car driver. And... and (laughs) I would like justify it. I'd be like, well, I don't believe in incarceration. (laughs) It was a mistake. Like I, so it needs to not be among best friends. And sometimes you can be more honest, right? With people that you don't know well. I feel like listeners, if this is of interest to you, let us know. Cause this could be a thing. 
Right. Like, that's why I said AA, right? Like, there's the anonymous part of it, I think, that would be important. I guess mostly it's that I think I could justify anything. It's like I could justify cheating on my husband being like, look, it's going to be good for our marriage because, right? Like, and and why tell him and why hurt him? Like, I can justify anything. I think we can justify pretty much anything to ourselves all the time. Yeah. That's why we need each other. So, Casper, are we thinking Augustine and Jesus Christ? (laughs) Like, when did we become this podcast? Well, this took a turn. Yeah. Well, I will say a big thanks to Nick Hayes, my dear friend and Indian food buddy, for bringing me this different way of thinking about evil. And yeah, I guess we'll, we'll thank both the originator of this prayer, but also everyone who's kept it alive through the millennia because it's been handed down from one person to another. So, Casper, we wrap up every episode by thanking the people who have helped influence our conversations, right? Martin Luther King, Lilo and Stitch, Nick, the (laughs) originator of the Lord's Prayer, right? But including community voices is really important to us. And we know that the people who are listening to this podcast have their own texts that they turn to, their own Mm. maxims and quotes that they love and that sustain them. And so what we've done is we've asked community members to email us in those maxims along with just their name and what city it is that they're calling in from. And we've gotten several of these emails and we're going to read some of them to you over the next couple of weeks. But we were like, what are we doing? We are an audio-based format. So what (laughs) we want you to do is start doing a voice recording that's just like, hi, I'm Vanessa. I'm from Medford, Massachusetts, and I want everyone to know that this too shall pass, which is my favorite maxim. Hmm. So please start sending those in. But for today, Casper, do you want to read the one that we have? Yeah. So this week we're hearing from Catherine Wolfe, who's from Birmingham in the UK, and who would like to remind everyone of this beautiful W.H. Auden quote, that if equal affection cannot be, let the more loving one be me. Oh, that's something you say. I love saying that. And the way I always say it is don't be afraid to be the one who loves more. But Auden had a nicer turn of phrase. I'm not going to lie. Auden did an equally good job. So if you want to send in a Maxim, just tell us your name, what city you're calling in from, and your favorite Maxim or quote, and send it in at realquestion at notsorryproductions.com. You've been listening to another episode of The Real Question. We can only make this show thanks to your support. So if you have the means to help us out, please do check out our Patreon at patreon.com realquestionpod. If you love the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. And you can always follow us on Instagram and Facebook at realquestionpod and on Twitter at therealqpod. We're a Not Sorry production and our executive producer is the wonderful Ariana Nettleman. Our music is by Nick Boll and we're distributed by Acast. Thanks to Ava for this week's voicemail, to Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Megan Kelly, Molly Baxter, Stephanie Pulsell, and every single one of our patrons. We're so grateful. See you next week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.